Hebrews chapter 6. We didn't finish. Got a little bit more to go in chapter 6. We'll actually finish 6, the end of 6, and 7, Lord willing. Uh, Even though there's a lot in 7, we're going to try to wrap it up. But we have to go backwards before we can go forward. Doesn't that seem like a, a pattern lately around here? Oh, I know it is. Hebrews 6, verse 13. Now, when God himself made a promise to Abraham because he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise For men indeed swear by the greater. That's important. That's what we're going to see tonight. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath and that two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for our refuge, to lay hold of the hope set before us. Listen to this beautiful verse. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, of which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, becoming the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for our night, Lord, and that just bless those who are watching us at home and over the radio, Lord, that you would just touch our bodies, that, Lord, you would just keep us healthy for your purposes, Lord, that you would comfort those who need comforting tonight, not, Lord, just physically, but spiritually, and that, Father, tonight we would see to be anchored to Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for a time of worship and fellowship, and now your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go backwards, shall we? The last time uh, he was talking about that topic of Melchizedek, it came up in chapter 5. So let's go backwards, 5.10. Now again, the context, context of this book is important to remember. These Jewish Christians are wanting to go back to the religious system. They want to go back to the rites, the rituals. And one of the biggest things for them, obviously, in the temple was the Aaronic priesthood. Not only that, but the high priest. And as the writer is building his case for telling them not to go back, he he starts to add this, that Jesus is better than the high priest. Well, That blew their mind. What's your proof behind that? Because as we will see today, the writer is going to tell us, yes, the Aaronic line, the high priest, you had to come from the tribe of Levi, but Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. So how does that make him better? You got to think like a Jew, not a Greek. Got that? We got to put ourselves in the context of the writer. To you and I, it makes, (laughs) okay. Jesus is better than the, okay, Lion of Judah, not to them. Everything was name and everything was tribe. And now you're telling us that Jesus is better, but he's from the tribe of of Judah. That makes no sense to me. 
That's what the writer is going to do. And so what he did was, in verse 10 of chapter 5, he started this argument by saying that Jesus is better because he comes from a different line than the Aaronic priesthood. He comes from the line of Melchizedek. And at that moment where he's writing, he's like, oh, that's right. You guys are dull. Look, verse 11, of whom we may say, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you become dull of hearing. And so for the next couple of chapters, he continues this idea of being dull and trying to help them understand, listen, you guys are going back. There's no purpose to going back. I want you guys to stay on track. At the end of verse 6, keep going. He says in verse, uh, I'm I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 11, he says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope to the end, and that you do not become sluggish. That's the same word, dull. And so he ties both of these uh, ideas together, and he goes, You guys have got to stop being so dull so we can get to the point of that Jesus comes from a a higher priesthood than Melchizedek. Everybody got that? Who's confused? Oh, just hold on. Now, verse 13, he picks up his thought after the sluggard part. And he says, when God made a promise to Abraham, we're going to talk about Abraham a lot tonight. We'll see him uh, back in Genesis chapter 14. We're going to go there tonight. He says, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he couldn't swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, and he's going to lay out this argument, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. What was Abraham patiently enduring, dear students of the Bible, lovers of Genesis? Anybody? Throw it out. What did he didn't have? Oh, I heard it up front here. An heir. Who was the heir? Oh, yeah, yeah. it was right there, wasn't it? Sorry. Next time we'll throw up on the screen. <laughs> he was waiting for an heir. He was patiently waiting. God had told him, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. In fact, you're going to have the Uh, So many children are going to come for you. It'll be like the sands of the seashore and the stars in heaven. All right, everybody remember that now? But that was 25 years ago. And now he's waiting and he's waiting. And you know how it is. We get kind of bummed out when God doesn't do things on our timeline. Anybody? Or was that, that's not really you. That's probably first service people. You're like, wait, I go to first service. And so he's waiting patiently, and then he obtained the promise. The promise was the son. It wasn't Ishmael of the flesh. Remember that. God doesn't bless our flesh. He blesses that which we hold on to in faith towards God. That, hey, listen, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm 99 and she's 90 but we're going to put our faith and our trust in the impossible, right? Uh, From man's perspective, it's not going to work, but in God's economy, amen, doesn't it work? I love that. Notice he he, he continues in verse 16. He says, 
for men indeed swear by the greater. And an oath of confirmation is for the end of all dispute. He lays this out. Listen, there, was, there is always the greater blesses the lesser. Remember that. And the greater, right, blesses the lesser. We all got that. And when he says that they swear by the greater, so because there was no one greater to swear to, that God says, I can't swear to anyone else because I'm it. He said, I swore by myself to make this oath and a pact between Abraham. Thus God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed by an oath. And in the next verse, he says these two things. And these two things are, number one, his oath and his promise. So those things are not movable. That's what the word means. The other is it's impossible for God to lie. Isn't that great that we don't serve a God that changes his mind? There's a certain group of people out there. I won't tell you what state they live in, but it's out west. There's a great sea by it, too. And they, from time to time, have to hear from the prophets because sometimes they have to have a new revelation from God. Well, I thought God doesn't change. Oh, no, yeah, he changes in this. Or No, no, no. Listen, our God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We already know that because the Bible tells us that. And because we know that, whatever he says is yea and amen. So we can hold our hat on the oath and on the promise. Because we see so many promises fulfilled not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Hey, guys, uh, go hang out for 50 days, uh, and then I'm going to send you the paracletus, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And when he comes upon you, you're going to be filled with dynamite power, dunamis power. And you're going to be witnesses to me for in Jerusalem and Judea and to the other ends of the earth. Well, what happened after 50 days? Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. So the oath is important, and the fact that he cannot lie. What if we got up there and we saw a sign that said, no Irish allowed? Wouldn't that bum, uh, bum me out? I'm Irish. Be like, you know what? We thought about it for a long time, and we don't want you in there. But God can't lie, and he can't go against his oath, his promise. Well, let's continue. He says in verse 18, again, by these two immutable things, they're not movable, his oath, and it's impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation, that it, it would give us this next thing, notice, who have fled for a refuge to lay, hope, uh, lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Who needs hope in this world right now? We do, and the rest of the people who cannot go to churches because of the lockdowns that are still out there today. Praise the Lord, uh, the Supreme Court got a little bit uh, involved with the case there in Santa Clara County with uh, some of the churches there as well as one of the Calvaries. It seems like one of the judges uh, locally there, we don't have all the information, but it was on Wall Builders Live on an amazing radio station on our here in Myrtle Beach, 
the last two, was it the last two? It was Monday and Tuesday, wasn't it? Uh, with um, Pastor McClure there. And he said that the judge had rescinded uh, uh, the, the fines. But they were up to $2.5 million in fines. Now, that's not done. That doesn't mean that they could not come back and do what government always do, does, does, which is just whatever they want to do. That could very well happen. But at least there's some movement there uh, towards, again, this word hope. And there is such a hopelessness to our world today, and that is by design. The devil has come to steal and destroy. He loves that people are killing themselves, that are doing drugs and alcohol. They're ruining their life, and the only place of hope is closed. I say that to all pastors. You open up. Stop being afraid of the man, because I'm a better boss as we'll see. I have a greater responsibility. My responsibility is not to human government. My responsibility is to Jesus Christ. We will find after COVID years down the road, let's really see the data of what it really did to lock people down when there is no science to prove such. Well, I went off somewhere I wasn't supposed to. Now we just got banned from Facebook. <laughs> but notice this hope, he says in verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Isn't that great? We talked about anchors. By the way, the anchor symbol was a symbol that the early church used often. In fact, uh, I wish I would have known this when I was in the, the Roman catacombs uh, with my family, but apparently down in the catacombs, you can fi find little anchor symbols all car carved in the walls because the believers who were being persecuted by the Roman government who were hiding out in those catacombs, they knew these verses speaking of the anchor of the hope that is to come. Again, it, it, what a great symbol it is. Again, you don't need an anchor for calm seas. Do you all know that? When do you need it the most? In 2020, in 2021, you need to. We all need to know who we are anchored to. Listen, we are not to be anchored to planet Earth, only to Jesus. That's where we put our hope and our trust in. Good news tonight? Good news tonight. I always, listen, I try my best every message to just throw in a couple of things of hope and, and not leave you like, oh, I shouldn't have come tonight. <laughs> There's great hope, and our great hope, as we will see, is our high priest in, a, in the next chapter. But I want you to note this, that God's oath is important. He cannot lie, and in that we have hope, notice, which enters the in the presence behind the veil. Remember, the Jews never could go behind the veil. There was only one person, the high priest, and only once a year that could go behind the veil. And so now the writer says, listen, we have hope because we will be in the presence of God Almighty. That's good news. When we get to heaven, there's not, 
the max uh, the the magic uh, plexiglass uh, that'll be you know separating us. It'll be thank you for getting that. We'll be throwing our crowns down before the sea of glass, saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty." who is, who was, and who is to come. He's our anchor. And anything else, well, you're anchoring to the wrong. How many of you have ever been out in a boat like that um, and you kind of pulled up to a shore and you saw that little um, two-liter bottle that was wrapped around? I mean, just, you know, wonderfully built. And holding on, and you think, oh, usually boaters can just clip onto something like that because there's a piece of concrete or an anchor on the bottom. But you find out, wow, we're kind of drifting a little bit because I, I, I anchored to something that I could not see. I could not verify that it was strong and it could hold my boat. We continue to anchor ourselves to things that are not Jesus. Well, verse 20 he finally gets back to his thought from uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he, he gets back to his thought, takes us into chapter 7. There is no chapter breaks. He continues his thought, chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part, first being translated king of righteousness, and then king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Now, I want to focus on something that it's later in the chapter. Look at verse 11 and verse 19, and I want to make this point because it seems like we're making this point an awful lot, which is, the rest of everybody wants to figure out who is Melchizedek. Who is this guy? Why is he in Hebrews? Why is he in Psalm? Why is he in uh, Genesis 14? They try to figure out who he is. Is he, is he Jesus? Is he a picture of it? Who is he? And uh, That's not what the writer is trying to tell us at all. What the writer is trying to tell us, verse 11, and then verse 19 is this. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, translation, if the Old Testament priesthood was perfect, there was no need for Jesus. Amen? That's the point. The point is not trying to figure out who this person is that we don't have a whole lot of information about. Again, three times in the entire Bible, we're going to talk about this guy. Look at verse 19. For if the law made nothing perfect, on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. He makes the point that the law could not make us perfect. So why, listen, why go back to that system? And the only reason why I say that, and we'll, we'll, we'll go back in verse 1 in a minute, because there are those today who want to go back into some form of Judaism inside of the church. And you need to know these verses and have them highlighted and say, listen, the writer is saying the law and the, the priesthood before couldn't make anybody perfect. 
couldn't make anybody in a good standing with God. Why in the world would you go back to that? It's only a type and a picture of Jesus that is to come. So why leave Jesus? Got the point? (laughs) Some of you are like that one. Verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he did bless him. Turn over to Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. Now, we don't even, Abraham's name is not even Abraham yet. It's still Abram. So this is before Abraham. Now, Abraham had gone out and he had fought against these five different kings in the area. And now he is returning, verse 17, and it says, The king of Sodom went out to meet him, meet who? Abram, at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley, after he had returned from the, the defeat of Chatelamor and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High. This is the first time we read about this guy. So, listen, two things to note, and there's a lot of two things to note, but two things to note right off the bat is you got the king of Salem standing there, and you have the king of Melchizedek, this who is this guy? Well, we'll talk about it. But would you rather have Sodom, uh, the king of Sodom, whose name means burning? Would you rather have King Burning on your side, or would you have the king of righteousness or king of peace? And I love how the Bible throws something at us like that, and we don't, we're like, oh. Remember the Jews, they, they understand what names mean. We often don't. And so, There he's standing with a pagan, king of Sodom, after this battle. And in verse 18 again, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High. Now, even I have taught this this way, but you look at a bread and wine, oh, obviously that is communion. There's no communion. There's no Jesus yet. Right? It could just well be bread and wine like green grass. See, this is why you have to come to Calvary for more than just one Sunday or a Wednesday because I'll make a reference something that I've been saying for the last couple of weeks and it's kind of like an inside joke now, right? It's just green grass. Sometimes the Bible just means bread and wine and we want to like dive into it and we kind of figure it out. Yeah, it can mean later down the road what G, or it could just be he was being really friendly bringing him some food after a long battle. (laughs) Sometimes, again, we overthink the Bible, and sometimes it's just somebody giving somebody some food. Well, I just made a ton of people mad who overthink it and have wrote books about it. Well, again, we're thinking like Greeks and not like Jews. Well, then he blessed him. Now, pause. What did we just read over in Hebrews? The greater, right, always blesses the lesser. So now Melchizedek, who is greater, is blessing Abram, who becomes Father Abraham, who had many sons, and many sons like Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so were you. 
So let's just praise the Lord. Right. Sorry. See what happens when you have these kid songs in your head for 50 years, right? They could just come out. So he blesses him and he said, Blessed be Abram, the God most high, possessor of the heavens and the earth. And he ble- and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, that's Abraham, gave him a tenth of all, not just the spoil, but everything that he had. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the person's And take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of the heavens and the earth. And that I will take nothing from a thread or a sandal strap. And that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say I've made Abram rich. So just a couple of verses about Melchizedek at the end of the blessing. Abraham gives him a a, a tithe of everything that he has. And then the king of Sodom says, Give me your persons. Isn't that how the burning one does? You can keep your possessions, but give me the souls. That's, in fact, what the word means. Souls. Give me the souls. All right. Let's go back. Half of you are confused. It's okay. Go back now to Hebrews 7, verse 1. Now, over in Psalm chapter 110, a thousand years later, from Genesis to Psalm, you have this reference. The Lord has sworn and not relented that you were a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you were to ask a Jew at that time, they would agree with you that this was a messianic psalm speaking of the Christ that is to come. So now we've got, Genesis, (laughs) we have Psalm, and now we have Hebrews chapter, well, 5, 6, and 7, a little bit of mixed in here. So, now we have this Melchizedek being explained further by the writer of the Hebrews. One thing that is apparent is that God arranges the details of life so that he would be an excellent type and picture. And that's what it all it is. It's a type and picture. It, it's not that he fulfills it perfectly, as we will see. Uh, he had no mother or father. We'll talk about that. It's not, this isn't Jesus. This is just a type and a picture of. Again, for Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, Abraham Returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all that he had, first being translated, and again, this is the definition of his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness and also king of Salem or king of peace. And so he's just describing that, and he further goes on, which we don't have only here in Hebrews, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of Man, remains a priest continually. Now, there are whole books written on that verse. What does that mean? What does it mean without father and without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days or end of days? A lot of people want to say that this is Christ. But that's not what the writer is telling us at all. Again, the context of what he is saying is don't go back to the old system of religion, 
which is based around an Aaronic priesthood that can't save you and isn't perfect. Stay with Jesus because he comes from a different priesthood, as we will see by the end of the chapter, and that chapter is ba- or, or that man is Melchizedek. Again, Melchizedek's priesthood was quite different. He didn't inherit his priesthood by being born into a priestly family. God simply picked him up, picked him out, and designated him as a priest. As far as his priesthood was concerned, he had no record of father or mother or genealogy. Listen, genealogy is everything to the Jews. He, he listen, I know it's hard to track this. You've got to stay on board with it. And you're doing a wonderful job. Aaronic priesthood, Levite, Jesus, Judah, doesn't equal. How is he greater? Because he's part of a different priesthood. Well, why, what is that? Where is his line from? What makes him so great? Is people who ask me all the time, where did I get my degree? And nowhere. I feel like Melchizedek. Well, what makes you special? You don't have X, Y, and Z. Do you hear that now? What makes Jesus so great if he's from Melchizedek? Because he's not from Aaron. He's not from Levi. It doesn't compute right. You, You don't need to figure it out. All you need to know is there is a better blessing through Jesus by this order of Melchizedek, and he's going to prove it through the rest of this chapter. So let me continue. Mm -hmm. Notice he was not the son of God, as some have mistakenly thought, but he was made like the son of God in this respect that his priesthood continued without interruption. And so now the author is going to demonstrate Melchizedek's priesthood in superiority to Aaron. That's what the writer does all the time. He tells us that Jesus is better, and then he proves that Jesus is better by God's word. Amen? It's not just enough to say it. It's to prove it by God's word. So this is his three arguments. The argument, number one, concerning the tithes and blessing. The argument concerning a charge that, uh, that has taken place replacing the Aaronic priesthood. And then the argument concerning the perpetuity of, of the Melchizedekian order, that's a big word, uh, in his lineage. I need to keep going. I'm putting most of you to sleep. I, I told Tom before, I said, we should just bypass this chapter. Listen, d- aside from the hope there in the anchor, does this affect our walk with Christ at all? No. Why? Because we're not Jews leaving Christianity and going back to a religious system. Ah, oh, but there's some... There's some Christians that want to go back into some kind of system. That's why it's important. But our anchor is in Jesus. Now, he says, consider how great this man was in verse 4. To whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoil. Remember, the, the greater, right? So when we give, we're giving to God who is greater than us. When Abraham is giving, he is giving greater to himself. The writer is building that Melchizedek is greater than the Levites. I'm sorry, I have to keep making this point. Do you see the greater and the lesser? Let's keep going. Um, 
where are we? Um, uh, verse 28. No, I'm just, you're like, can we just drop to the plot? Not yet. Again, he says, indeed, those, verse 5, who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Remember, Father Abraham. But, he's who, uh, but he, whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithes from Abraham. And he blesses him, and he had made these promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Again, building the theme. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Clear as a bell, isn't it? (laughs) It's okay not to know it, and it's okay to go to the next verse. Therefore, tying it all together. He is tying chapters 5, 6, and 7 all together right now. And aren't you glad? Thank you. Tie it in, wrap it up. Let's get to the next topic. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical system, I'd like you to highlight that, underline that if you need. That is so important. If perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be according to the, uh, the order of Aaron. Their argument, the writer already knows. We already have the law. What's the need of having a different priesthood? Ah, but the law can't make you perfect. It can't do what the Jews thought it could do. So, uh, 12, for the priesthood, here it is, being changed. Guys, when you look at verse 11, you're like, that's powerful. But actually, verse 12 is more powerful because the writer just said, the whole priesthood and the law is now changed. Jesus said, I came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And if he did that, it now changes to a new person who is the head. And again, That is Christ. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there also must be a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. Again, man's gods created without hands. He says, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah. Don't you love how he knows their argument? He goes, I know he came from Judah, of which tribe Moses said nothing concerning the priest. Yet Jesus is a priest, and so how can that be? Because the law has changed. That's what he said in the previous verse. Mm -hmm. And if it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandments, but according to the power of the endless life. Now, we've gone a long way tonight, and 
A lot of you are tired. I'm tired. I'm looking at you. I'm tired. Tired of saying Melchizedek and the law. But did you pick up on the last part of that? He says, but according to the power of the endless life. So we've set aside the old law. It has been fulfilled. There's a new law. There's a new priest. Not according to fleshly commandment. Not according to our flesh, but according to God who is and has endless life. For he testified, verse 17, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, from Psalm. For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitability. Let's hear that. Now hear it in the mind of a Jew. You just called the law unprofitable? That doesn't make sense. We have thousands of years of tradition. Tradition, right? We have thousands of years. We have Aaron, Moses, Abraham, and you just told us it doesn't mean anything anymore. Do you see the crisis that is going on inside of their mind and why the writer is doing what he is doing? They can completely just lose it. I don't know what to believe. Ah, I know, but let me point you back to Jesus. Listen, when you feel like your head's going to explode, Where should you go? Jesus. Always go back to Jesus. Why? There's hope and there's an anchor. No matter what it is, I know I'm anchored to the right place. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And so the law which was set up by the Aaronic priesthood has been annulled because of weakness and it wasn't profitable. It has been canceled Listen, oh, we love that word today, cancel culture. Jesus came and he annulled the Old Testament far as the law, the priesthood, because now there is something better. Remember, the greater is always better than the lesser. And what the writer is trying to say is that Jesus is the greater and the law is the lesser. So why go back to the lesser? What makes sense was the law was weak and unprofitable. It was given by God, they would say. How could it be weak and how could it be unprofitable? The answer is that God never intended this to be the ultimate law of the priesthood. God never intended that man would live by the law. He never intended that. It was to show mankind that you cannot live by the law that you need the blood of the Lamb. You need Jesus. Is the light starting to turn on now? Ding. Okay, I get it. The law was never meant to be kept, and yet we'll go over to Israel, and I'll talk with them, and they'll say, yeah, you could keep it. Well, no, you can't. Again, the ultimate priesthood, which was to come, listen, this is why it hurts your head. Because the priesthood that ultimately was to come was before Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish people, and Jacob and Levi. So this guy is greater than this guy, but this guy was set up for a temporary purpose so that when this guy, who was Jesus, came on the scene, it pointed us back to the first guy. Right? Who's confused? I need to have a diagram. 
Uh, just remember, does this apply to my relationship with Jesus Christ? No. Is it good to know? Yes. That's why we have to go through some of this stuff. And I will tell you that you will probably never hear this somewhere else if a church has a pastor that looks at it and goes, I don't know what's going on in there. Let's open up to Proverbs. That's what happens. Listen, God's word is still God's word, amen? Will not return void. It won't return void tonight either. And so the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, or that they became priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. Again, coming back to the psalm, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, rounding, coming down to the, the finish line. Thank you. Listen, by so much more Jesus. That's all you need to know for the book of Hebrews. Wouldn't that be nice if we just read that? Went right in to James. Listen, by so much more Jesus, he is better because he has become a surety or a pledge of a better covenant. What is the better covenant? That we no longer have to go to the temple and sacrifice and that he became the sacrifice for our sin. And all we have to do is accept that Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's good news. That's a better covenant. That's a better plan. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. He goes, the priests who were of the flesh or of Aaronic, they ended. What do you want? Do you want a priest that dies or do you want a priest that lives forevermore? Do you hear the writer's argument? Again, he's trying to get these Jewish believers' attention. Um, 24, but he, because he continues forever, that's Jesus. He has an unchangeable priesthood. It doesn't change. Therefore, he also is able, boy, I love this phrase, to save to the what? Uttermost. There is nothing that Jesus can't do. And nobody Jesus can't save that wants to be saved. Because we think, well, God can never save that guy. Maybe you thought of that of your own life. But Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through who? Him, his name. There is no name under heaven by which men must be saved, but by the name of Jesus. There is no multiple roads to heaven. There was one road to heaven, and it says Jesus on it. You ever been on the, the freeway every once in a while? And I, I like they do this, and maybe it's because I'm getting older and those signs on the side of the road are getting a little smaller and a little blurrier. But every once in a while, they put that giant interstate on the road, in the lane, right? I-85. Good. I know it's in blue and red. I like that. The road that we're on, only says Jesus. It doesn't say Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna or Joseph Smith or Ellen G. White. It says Jesus <laughs> and Jesus alone. 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' business, his job, are you ready for it? I know, I know we don't like in, a, in our world today lawyers, but lawyers are important, aren't they? You, lawyer is a really important thing when you need it. And I'm thankful for the Christian lawyers that are fighting for our rights. I, I can't believe that we have to fight for our own First Amendment rights. I'm glad they're there. And listen, the best lawyer of all doesn't send you a bill. He's waiting to give you a hug in heaven. Like, man, if you saw how many hours I've been working on you, <laughs> your caseload, woo! Woo! <laughs> Like every week I'm coming to the Father, Lord, forgive him. <laughs> He's the great lawyer. He, listen, always lives to make intercession for you. Guys, I, I know we say this a lot, but God loves you. He is for you. He wants you to succeed, and he wants you to be with him in heaven. And as we learned last week, you can't do that by going back to religion. Let's, let's wrap up. Uh, verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us. Now, listen to the description of Jesus, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners. Can I get an amen there? Aren't you glad that he is harmless? What do you think of God? I'm talking to those listening on the radio who don't know Jesus. Who do you think God is? Some old guy like George Burns from the movies of Oh God from the 70s, you know. He's this, this guy, and he's just waiting to pound on me. That's not who God is. God loves you, and he loves mankind, or he would have never sent his son. And his son, listen, is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and he has become higher than the heavens. And the writer is telling us to put our trust in that high priest who does not need daily as those in the high priest to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's, for he did it once, circle it, for all when he offered up himself. He doesn't have to do it like the priests who are fleshly, who have to give first their own sacrifice of sin. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Thank you. She's like, we're done. Hold on, I still got time. <laughs> Never know what I'm going to do. Now, one more last point. Again, the implications in the material that we just covered is huge. And again, we don't know that because we're not them. Got that? So it's huge what the writer is going through and what they're now struggling with in their beliefs. Are they going to hold on to Jesus? Or are they going to go back? Again, the human priesthood has been superseded by a divine, eternal priesthood. So how foolish then for men and women to set up their own priestly system and then go back to that system. Why would you do that? It's so foolish. The writer says there's something better. And again, the theme, the better, 
the better. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to see that not only is Jesus the high priest, but there's a better covenant that he makes. There was a covenant that God made with Abraham, that he made with David, but there is a better covenant. Are you ready? That you're the bride. You're not the Jewish nation. You're the bride of Christ. That, church, is the better covenant. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the writer, even though, Lord, it is often very complicated, hard to understand where the writer is going and what he is thinking. But thank you, Lord, that your word endures forever. It is a light unto our feet, a lamp in the path that we are walking. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the writer. We thank you, Lord, that you were better than the the law that could not make anybody right with you. Thank you again for our time, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Listen.